Uh, so, good morning. It's been a long time since I've been here. So, I appreciate the opportunity to come back. And I guess to talk about radical hospitality in such a place that is so hospitable makes a lot of sense. And it allows me to preach to the choir. <laughs> the choir. <laughs> so, I don't know if you're familiar with this quote, but it's in the New Testament. It's from uh, the book of Hebrews. St. Paul said this about hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So it's, you, how many of you are familiar with that? I've heard it before. So, some of you. Let me just read it again. Do not neglect, no, I can't talk either. <laughs> Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I mean, that's the command, he's saying. So, right? But then he gives a rationale. If he had stopped there, it would have been radical hospitality. But then he gives a rationale. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. It's almost like saying, if you skip a couple of strangers, those could be angels and you are in trouble. So, show you know, hospitality to strangers, because one of them might be really important. He's referring to a story in the Hebrew Bible in the book of Genesis. So, I mean, Paul is a Pharisee. Paul is steeped in Jewish lore and law. And he's referring to chapter 18 in Genesis. I'm going to read you, not the chapter, just a few verses where, of what he's referencing. So, God appeared, you know, these are legends, so it's written in the trope of the time. I'm not going to try to make it contemporary. God appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them. And he bowed down to the ground before them. And he said to them, Honored sirs, if I, have find, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to, to your servant. So that's the story that Abraham's sitting, he's talking to God, three guys show up, he runs off to greet them. And in the, in the longer version, if you keep reading, he provides them with a lot more than just um, foot washing and, and some bread. What I want to do first is to take the story almost verse by verse, because there's so much... Um, I was going to say history, but there's so much information in there that you miss it when you, just, when you just listen to the story as I read it. So it starts out, God appears to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. So what are the oaks of Mamre? Mamre is a sacred grove. It's not just any old foresty area. Mamre is a sacred grove, and the oaks of Mamre are these sacred oaks. And there's a whole theory that... Abraham and Sarah are associated with these trees. And the idea is that, she, that Sarah, his wife, is a priestess of the Oaks of Mamre. 
I mean, her name means princess. So there's, she's not, um, she comes with some status in her name. And the, the theory is, and these are academic theories, but the theory is that there was a, certainly religion predates Abraham and Sarah, and that they were both leaders of compatible but not necessarily uh, the same religious communities. So Abraham means sort of, or Avram means high father. So maybe his was more of a mountain thing. Uh, you know, we, again, you don't really know. And then because Sarah is associated with trees a lot, she may have been the priestess of um, a, a mother cult, probably an earth-honoring goddess cult, that centered on trees. So they're in her sacred grove. That's where they're hanging out. So God appears to them in the, uh, you know, by the oaks of Mamre. And Abraham is sitting at the entrance of his tent at the heat of the day. So the custom of their time was to close off three of the four sides of their tents. They would set the tents up um, so the heat would be, uh, as, as the day wore on, the, the tent would get hotter in the back and cooler in the front. That, that's how they set it up. But they would close the back flaps and the side flaps and only leave one flap open, which was theoretically the most defendable side of the tent. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So they, they closed everything off so if you, there were strangers coming, strangers would have to come in a certain direction and that was the direction that whoever owned the tent could defend most effectively. So there was this built-in notion that strangers are scary. In this uh, story, it says he's sitting at the entrance of the tent, but there is a legend about Abraham and Sarah that when they pitched their tent, they lifted the flaps on all four sides. So you could approach them from any direction. That's going to become important when we talk about radical hospitality. So strangers could come. They had no fear of strangers. And, and there's a reason why, but, which we'll get to. But they didn't have any intrinsic fear of strangers. And they opened their, their house, their tent, to anyone coming from any direction. So it was, that was their first act of radical hospitality. So he's talking to God. Abraham is talking to God, which is a big deal. I mean, it's, it's God. Right? And they're in this holy place, and God shows up, and they're having this conversation. So Abraham is talking to God, and then it says, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent to meet them. I mean, just think of, of the idea here. He's talking to God. Abraham, Abraham. He goes, oh, Lord, Lord. And then he, goes, then he sees three guys, and he goes, oh, hang on, one second, I'll be right back. <laughs> and he runs over to find these three strangers. Now, later on, we learn that those strangers are angels. That's where Paul's saying comes in. But Abraham doesn't know that, and, which is common in, in the Bible. You can read my book on angels, which talks about how, uh, in most cases, humans become angels or angels take on the form of humans, but there's no hard and fast division between humans and angels in, in the Hebrew text. So he doesn't know they're, they're angels. They just look like three travelers. 
So he's talking to God, and then he just puts him on hold, <laughs> right? And he just runs off to meet these three people. Where is Abraham's, or, or, what is Abraham's priority when it comes to beings? You might think that God would be at the top, but not for Abraham. Right? People trump God in this case. Yeah? So he runs off to these people. I mean, that, that's huge. And he bows down to the, to the people. Never it says he bows down to God, but he bows down to these people. Honored sirs, if I find favor, don't pass by. Let me bring you some water. We'll wash your feet. You can rest under the tree. Why does it say the tree? It's the oaks of Mamre. So there are lots of trees. You know, he could have said, come on, come into the shade, come in, right? But the tree. There is this legend that Abraham and Sarah, when they camped in the Oaks of Mamre, there was a, I guess you say like a divination tree, something like that, maybe a prophetic tree. And the idea, according to the legend, was whoever sat under the tree, it's like Hogwarts and the hat, you know? <laughs> that would tell you, you're in the house of this, you're in the house. So you'd sit under the tree, and if the tree bent over you to shade you from the sun, then you were considered a good person. And if the tree went the other way, then anyone watching would go, uh-oh, these people are dangerous. So the tree would tell you what kind of people they're, they're dealing with. So, so Abraham could have been saying to them, hey, come on, come on, I'll get you some water. Just, just before, though, just uh, sit over there. No, not that tree. <laughs> Uh, this tree. <laughs> you know, which way is it going, right? Okay, let me get some water. I'll be right back. So he's, uh, in, in um, Islam, there's a phrase you, should, you might have already heard many times from somebody, someplace. Uh, Trust Allah and tie your camel, right? So you trust God, but you don't want your camel to walk away, so you better, you, better, um, you know, Tie him up so the camel doesn't disappear. So here's the same thing. He's doing this act of radical hospitality. He's elevating these three strangers over God. And he never even gets back to talking to God in, in the story. He just hangs out with the strangers. And, and yet, there's this tree legend so that maybe he's like, oh, I trust these people. Uh, just to be on the safe side, you know, sit under the magic tree. So they, they do that, and then um, that, and that's really the end of our verse. But then he runs off and he gets them all these things. So the most radical thing in the story, I mean, I've given you a lot of the background, but the only thing that really speaks to radical hospitality, from the Jewish perspective anyway, is the fact that they lifted the flaps on all four sides. They were. They left themselves vulnerable to strangers coming from anywhere. You might say, actually maybe we also, we should say, that they also um, prioritized strangers over the, over the divine. So, you know, it says God appears to Abraham and then Abraham looks up and three, sees these three people. So some people have read this, that's how God appears to Abraham, as these three strangers. And then they go right into, well, who are the three strangers? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And 
you've just left Abraham in the dust and switched over to Christianity. But that isn't what the Bible actually says. There's God's appearance. Then Abraham looks up, because maybe he's like, oh, God, you know, it's being very humble or something. And then he looks up for whatever reason and sees these people. So you can't really equate God with the strangers. There's God, and then there's the strangers, and Abraham makes his choice for the strangers. So those two things together, prioritizing humans over the divine, and then opening your tent uh, on all sides. Later on, when Abraham and Sarah are told to, um, or, or earlier, sorry, earlier in the book, when Abraham and Sarah are told to wander out of their, their country and go to wherever God is going to take them, they're told that their whole point of the wandering is to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And the commentary always says, all of them, not Jewish, there's no Jews, all of them human, but all of them animal and, and, and other beings as well. So it's this, this um, interspecies act of respect that they're being led toward. And here, we only have people involved, but here it's, the same, similar, it's a similar kind of thing, where you see that God, the way to be godly is not to worship God, it's to help the stranger. Is that, you follow that? Okay. So, the four flaps in the Jewish mystical tradition represent body, heart, mind, and spirit. And the commentary, the mystical commentary, says that your task is to be like Abraham and Sarah, to, be, you know, to, to open the four flaps of your tent, meaning your being, to open yourself physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually to the unknown, because that's what the strangers basically represent. You can, and many of us do, have a practice for communing with the, with the divine. But for lots of us, that's a safe place to be, right? You're going to talk to God. God's not going to smote you, you know, you're assuming. Uh, so there's, there's some comfort there. But strangers, you know, that's, that's something else. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, God makes a point of saying, love the stranger, as well as love the neighbor. We'll come back to that one. But God makes a point of saying, love the stranger, because the assumption is that people don't normally do that. They don't normally even love their neighbor. <laughs> there's just always, even if a person lives close by, there's still tension. So God says, love your neighbor and love the stranger. You know, whether or not you believe in this kind of God or the God of the Bible is you know, either just a character in the text, which is my own personal approach. But however you look at it, the person who wrote these texts is prioritizing loving neighbor, and then loving stranger. Jesus adds, love your enemy. Though he never actually mentions a stranger, but he adds, but you could infer. But he adds, love your enemy to that as well. So the four sides of the tent, body, heart, mind, and spirit, have to be opened in order to practice radical hospitality. And I'm going to share some ways of doing that from two different perspectives, from the Jewish perspective and the Hindu perspective, only because 
That's what occurred to me when I was putting down my notes, right? You could find a Buddhist perspective and a Christian and a Muslim and a <clears throat> you know, pagan and you know, whatever. there's lots of perspectives. But those are the two that, appeared, that, that spoke to me. So let's talk about the physical. So I'm, I'm looking out at a sea of masks, which is obviously a little, it's going to make the, the first thing that the, that the rabbis taught a little difficult. So there, <coughs> there was this rabbi named Shammai. Now, they didn't use the term rabbi then, but he was the, a great sage. And he was also known as short-tempered, arrogant, um, not the kind of guy you want to hang out with, though he was the head of a whole school of students. He was very harsh, very rigid in his understanding of, of the Bible. Not, doesn't have a great reputation as a people person. And I'm making the point because he's the one who says, this is how you open the tent flap of the physical, your physical body. And what he says is, you should smile at everybody. Greet everyone, someone you know, someone you don't know, someone you're friendly with and someone you're not friendly with, with what he calls a cheerful face. So, I mean, we're all wearing, you're all wearing masks, so. <clears throat> I, I don't know what you're, <laughs> what? Yeah, the smile eyes, right? So, so, but that's the idea, that you, you put on, I mean, it sounds silly, you put on a happy face, but you put on a happy face whenever you meet somebody. Now, we could go, but I'm not going to, into the whole physiology of smiling and how that actually has impact on you biologically, chemically. Um, and I'm not going to go into it for two reasons. One, I really don't know all that much about it, but two, he knew nothing about it. <laughs> so, it's not like he said, well, in the physiological studies at the University of, um, of Mamre, you know, it doesn't work that way. <clears throat> so he just said, and he just probably knew from just his experience, that if we greet one another cheerfully with a smile, that is going to be a way to allow the stranger into your life in a more open, daring radically hospi uh, hospitable way. So, so there's just one idea. There's something else in the Indian tradition, in the Hindu tradition, which you can use when, and this is going to be a bridge between um, the heart, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the physical and the emotional. When you feel threatened, when you're having negative emotions, the body reacts, right? So it closes down, it tightens up, your blood pressure um, goes up, your breathing becomes maybe shallow, <clears throat> and, you, and you experience a sense of fear and anxiety. So the stranger's coming and you're feeling this fear and anxiety. To alleviate the fear and anxiety, which are now heart dimension things, you can work with the body in Hinduism through pranayama, breath work. And one of the ways that um, Hindus do this is through alternate nostril breathing. So how many, you know what that is? I don't know if any of you have tried it. But and there's all kinds of hand things. But what it means is you close off one nostril and you breathe in. And then you close that nostril off and you breathe out through 
the opposite nostril, and then when you breathe it out, then you breathe in through that nostril, and then you close it off and you breathe out through the other one. So you're just breathing back and forth. The science of alternate nostril breathing proves that it <laughs> proves that it lowers your blood pressure. Yeah, because if you ever try it, it's my experience is you can't maintain anxiety when you do alternative nostril breathing. I don't really know why that is. I just will attest to the fact that it is. There's something about the practice that just settles you. So it's using the body to impact the emotions. The other thing emotionally you could look at is um, from the Jewish side, when it says, and I mentioned it just a second ago in Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself, and you've probably heard me make this, share this commentary before, the word for neighbor in Hebrew is rea. And Hebrew, if you get a Hebrew Bible, not a printed Bible, but a, the Torah, the handwritten Bible, it has no vowels. And so the tradition is uh, you're taught what vowels go where when you're a kid, so you know how to pronounce the thing. But uh, there's, there's no vowels that are, that are locked in. And the, the interpretive tradition allows you to change vowels to make different words. So there's an 18th, um, 19th century rabbi, Nachman Abraslav, from Ukraine. Um, and he said many, many things. But one of them is, he says, when you read the Hebrew, Love your neighbor as yourself. And in the Hebrew it says, Ve'ahavta le re'echa, your neighbor, re'echa, kamocha, as yourself. It says, also read it, Ve'ahavta ra'echa, your evil, love your evil, kamocha, as a part of yourself. That he says, the reason we fear the stranger is because we take our own negative, you know, the, neg the things we don't like about ourselves, and we project them on people we don't even know. They carry our shadow side, in a sense. <clears throat> and if you don't own your shadow side, you can't relate to the stranger. You can't love the stranger, or your neighbor, or anyone else, because you've made them the vehicle for everything you hate about yourself. So on the purely emotional side, you could, the, the task would be to identify your own shadow side and then learn to embrace that. Now, he says, to love your negativity or shadow side. Probably what that means, at least in stuff that I've read, it means to own it. It doesn't mean to say, oh, I love being a jerk. Right? No, it's, it's more like, yeah, I, I can be a jerk. And so it's just taking, it's taking ownership of your dark side and then trying to work with that for the benefit of being a blessing, but it's not foisting it on someone else. So those are two ways to work with, with the emotional side. So on the physical, we're just putting on a happy face, and then emotionally, we're working with the breath and um, this notion of, of owning your, your shadow side. Intellectually, there was a contempt, well, another, another rabbi <clears throat> in the first century, these are all first century, with Nachman is 18th century, but these are all 
Nachman is 19th century. These are all uh, first century people otherwise. There was a guy named Yossi Ben Yozer, which sounds like a character from Ghostbusters every time I read it, right? Gozer the Gozerian, Yossi Ben Yozer the Gozerian. So Yossi says around about this idea of opening the flap of the intellect. He says, make your home a gathering place of the wise and let yourself be covered by the dust of their feet. So let's just unpack that. So make your home a gathering place of the wise. Lots of people, you know, my home is my castle, right? Nobody gets in. I raise the moat, <laughs> I raise the drawbridge, there's a moat, nobody comes in, I'm safe in here, I've got my shotgun, my whatever else you might have for, for defense, because the bad guys are out there. He says, May, open your house, make it a gathering place for the wise. You can understand that in a number of different ways, but you know, bring in people from whom you can learn. Because then the second part is, he says, let yourself be covered by the dust of their feet. So <clears throat> these are people walking around in sandals, and they're going to come in, and they're going to bring you know, the, the dust of the outside inside. And if that's what he's talking about, you know, get yourself a dirt devil and clean up around your, your, the, the, the wise who come in, or have them, or wash their feet as they, as they come in. But the commentary says, the dust of their feet are the ideas they've gotten from places they visited, maybe physically, but intellectually. So if you only bring in people who agree with you, <coughs> The dust of their feet is the dust of your feet, in a sense. So Yossi is saying, bring in people whose ideas you've never heard of. And he's thinking Greek ideas, Egyptian ideas. I mean, that's what they're exposed to at the time. So bring in these cosmopolitan ideas and allow them to you know, steep yourself in those. Not just what you know, but all these things you don't know. Not the stuff that you feel comfortable with, but new ideas that you may never have heard of and that may make you uncomfortable. Being radically hospitable, not just to the wise as persons, but to the ideas that they're bringing to you. Keeping your intellect open to new ways of understanding the world. Fourth, last, opening the spiritual flap. So I'm going to go back to Hinduism this time. And in the Hindu tradition, they have this practice called <coughs> neti neti, N-E-T-I, N-E-T-I. Not a neti pot. That's the thing, you know, it goes up your nose and you're cleaning out your, okay. That's, that's not that. Neti means not this. So saying it twice, it means not this and not that. It's a radical denial of the absolute truth of any of the ideas, I'm bringing it back one step, that the sages brought into your house. Just because they're labeled wise, the stuff they say may not be. That's one aspect of neti neti. The other aspect of neti neti is no idea is the idea, right? There's no final, oh, this is the truth. Because whatever the truth is, it transcends anything you and I can say. So just to bring Taoism into it for a moment, 
Uh, we're not called universalists for nothing, right? So that's to bring Taoism into it, the opening line of the Tao Te Ching is the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. So any idea that you can articulate may point to whatever the ineffable reality is, but it cannot articulate it because it is fundamentally beyond articulation. You can read the Tao Te Ching or you can read Wittgenstein. It's, it's going to take you to the same place, that eventually you end up in silence because that silence alone gives you a sense of what the, the ineffable uh, ultimate reality is. So the practice is neti neti, and the idea is you entertain all these ideas, but you don't cling to any of them, and you don't take any of them on face value. You, you can challenge them intellectually, right? You can certainly do all that, but even if you do all of that, and even if they prove to be, um, to withstand any of your questioning and challenging, still, in the end, neti neti. Yeah, I can't defeat your idea, but it's an idea. So I'm going to entertain it. I'm going to learn from it whatever I can. I'm going to employ it wherever it seems to make sense to me. But I'm not going to mistake it for ultimate truth because no idea contains the ultimate truth. Right? Anything I can say isn't the ultimate, which is unsayable. So the practice of radical hospitality, I'm going to end with this, is all about removing your defenses to the unknown, to the stranger. Physical, emotional, uh, yeah, physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. To make yourself as vulnerable, as vulnerable as possible to what you do not know. Often in forms you've never met. Could be intellectual forms, but in the forms of, of people that you've never met. I'm going, to, I'm going to stop there. There's something I wanted to link it, and, and we're going to do talk back a little. We're going to write some sharing. So when we get to that, I want to bring in the Ukraine thing around this idea, because I think it's apropos. But that's, that's radical hospitality. That's what the Bible and the commentators uh, are suggesting that we try, and I'm offering it to you this Sunday as a spiritual practice to enrich your lives and uh, all life. Thank you.